You are now listening to the Griot's Black Podcast Network, Black Culture Amplified. What's going on, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Dear Culture here on the Griot Black Podcast Network. I am your host, Panama Jackson, and I hope you've been checking out all the episodes of Dear Culture because every episode has been a conversation about some aspect of Black culture. We've been talking about songs, is Usher a legend? Uh, we talked about movies. We just we talked about all kind of things. But today we have somebody here that actually curates the culture in a very interesting way. Somebody who's creating culture, who's behind the scenes on things. Her bio is amazing. Uh, she's been a part of every project I think I wanted to be a part of, and some I've been upset to see and, and read. Um, so before we dig into that, please put your virtual and digital hands together for Naima Cochran. How you doing today? Thank you. I'm great, Panama. Thank you for having me. Um, and thank you for that intro. I still, those intros still bug me out, but I'm, I'm learning to accept it. Well, I'm glad you said that because I actually want to tell you how I came to know who you were. We've only met once and that was at the Roots right. Picnic recently and i don't think you mm-hmm. had any idea who i was but you were with mouse jones and he said do you know mm-hmm. naima and i was like one name naima because that's what i that like <laughs> that's how significant you are right. in spaces that i frequent like i know of you by your first name so you up there with b right. and jay and all those other people in the black oh cultural. my god Listen, but let me tell you why <laughs> let me tell you why it's actually gonna be really fun one is actually really fun and one is like i was like who are these people the fun one is a couple years ago, I wanted to do this series when I would, uh, I want to do this series about black pop art. And mm-hmm. I was going to do like a, like a black history month, 28 days of like black pop. Art. I love black pop art. Like I literally, if my wife would let me fill the house with pictures of Bob Marley <laughs> and Tupac and pictures together with left eye, you know, with the angel wings oh, on yes, the back. I'm, Listen, if it wasn't for my <laughs> wife, my house would be full of that type of stuff. But she's like, absolutely not. So I had to confine it to my own personal spaces. <laughs> but you curated this amazing Twitter thread of all this stuff. And I was like, mm. I thought I was going to have to do a lot of work to find it. But boom, there it is right there. It's like, oh, here's everything I'm literally looking for. I couldn't do it because of legal clearances because I don't know who did any of that stuff. Right. But um, right. I was so excited. I was like, yo, who is this person that did all the heavy lifting for me on this stuff that I'm trying to do? And it was you, including my favorite work, which is the one of Malcolm X baptizing Tupac in uh, a river somewhere. I'm just going to assume it's Mississippi and all these black yeah. people. Anyway, so that's the first. Yeah. And and I think thug life is misspelled or something that 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 one exists in a world courtesy of Tyrese, which so makes sense. did Tyrese actually create <laughs> that art? Because if he did, he's actually a brilliant artist. You know, I'm not sure because he also has this really big mural in his home. And I think he's presented it as though he did it. But I don't like you said, he would be a brilliant artist, but I can definitely see Tyrese as a savant of sorts. I'm still not clear if he did the artwork, but he's like, if you want to talk about provenance of, of art, it starts with. Therese, with Tyrese. Yeah. I myth- <laughs> mythologically speaking, I associate that piece with Tyrese, and I wanted to do the right. entire series just so I could exalt and uplift that one particular piece that I I wanted to do as a mural in my house. But again, my wife is like absolutely not. The your wife has sense. Between the, when it comes to that, <laughs> that's probably true. That is, that is I am willing to indulge all manner of fully weighing. Secondly, though, you were a part of, this was a couple years ago, it was like 100 songs that define New York rap. Now, I'm not from New York. I'm not from New York City. I saw this list, and I wanted to fight everybody involved. So I, of course, <laughs> looked at the list, and I had to see whose names were involved. Good friend of mine, Shamir Ibrahim, was a part of that, and I saw your name on there. Mm-hmm. And we did like a podcast episode of another podcast about that. We were talking about this, and I was like, right. what was going through y'all people's brains when y'all put together this list? Can I explain? Oh, please. Feel free. Okay. First of all, shout out to my dear friend, Will E. Ketchum, who was one of the, the editors homie. for that list, but who is not from New York, right? Okay. I was probably the only exer who actually has a New York... I was born in New York. I grew up in, this, in South Carolina, but I spent all my summers and holidays here, and I've been here my, back my entire adult life. Um, so I was the only exer kind of representing that boom bap era, like, I had to throw... So, 
I came in, we ranked, um, everybody did their own personal ranking and then they ranked everything collectively based on each individual mm-hmm. ranking, which I don't know if that was the best way to do it, <laughs> you know? Um, it, it, so, so it, it, it was definitely a little bit of a skewed list. Like I had to fight to put nobody beats the biz up in there. And I had to fight to get a couple of other joints in there where I was like, we can't not have these up in there. But um, yeah, that's what happened with that. It was it was like individually ranked and then collectively based on the individual rankings. There was probably this is why I hate ranked lists though. Like it just doesn't it never bodes well for anybody. I don't know. It bodes well for all of us who like to argue about this stuff. Like it literally that's yeah, true. I mean it's the perfect it's like <laughs> provocative. It's literally nobody knows this yeah. but it's provocative. It's literally that. I was so mad and I'm not again I'm not even from New York, but I was like Right. And it wasn't even the top of the list. It was like some of the things that were on the list and where they were placed. Like, but again, it gives people like myself and all it gives all of us who argue all day long online things to talk about and fight about for a yes. solid week. It was awesome. It was awesome as far as I was concerned. Let's be honest, these lists are created just so everybody can argue Absolutely. about Absolutely. That that's really their intention. And we yeah. all need things to argue about. So that's perfect. We're gonna take a quick break here on Dear Culture. Stay tuned. I wanted to before, so part of the reason why I wanted to have you on here is because you curate the amazing music sermon IG and like the mm-hmm. Black Music Month thing that you do. You set it into the Black Summer. But before we get to that, I actually wanted to kind of get into how you got to this place where you are a curator of culture. In your um, in mm-hmm. your bio on your website, you have an amazing line that I think literally symbolizes what I like to do as well which is putting black culture in context. Like, I love that line. Like, I stopped at mm-hmm. that, and I'm reading. I'm like, man, that's such an interesting way to exist as a person, uh, as a job, as a profession. I don't know if you caught, like, literally, you put it on the right. But what does that mean for you? Yeah. And how did you get to the point, like, where putting black mm-hmm. culture in context is what you do, I presume, for a living at this point? Right. Um. So to explain that line, I, gotta, I do have to go a little bit into my resume. Um, I was a music industry executive for many, 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 many years. Um, and then, uh, at several different labels, Bad Boy, Arista, um, Columbia, Epic. And then I moved over to the management side. And in both of those roles, both of those arenas, when you, what you were working with is the commodification of blackness, black culture, black arts, um, black ideas, Black creatives, which we now also see in digital. We see it in every space we occupy, right? And when you are, what people don't really understand about label executives is that not only are we fighting for our artists, but we are usually fighting to keep our, to keep the relevant context around our music and our art and our culture, because we're usually in buildings where the ultimate decision makers don't understand all of it they just know something's making money something's connecting something's not um one of my best examples of that is when we were rolling out bands make a dance for juicy j those were some really awkward meetings it's like one fourth of the conference room is wilding out and everybody else is really uncomfortable um so or like you know video video edits with the password strippers like that type of thing so um it's it's it is a fight to kind of like make sure that things don't get lost in a translation between creating it and how we present it to the consumer and then in management it's the same thing i'm trying to help translate an artist's voice um, to their work, to their art, to the people who are going to help package it, manufacture it, and sell it without certain things getting lost. So now, as a music and culture journalist, historian, researcher, etc., this is this is my opportunity to do it on a larger platform, right? Because there is a lot of history, recipes, whatever you want to call it, is lost, and or, or is being lost, and. Sometimes I see, like, for example, we're having this whole 90s resurgence, but there's a lot around it that isn't that isn't being added to the story. Um, there's a you know, there are a lot of people calling folks culture vultures without 
really understanding there's a form of erasure in what they're saying for certain people for certain reasons. So it's that's my thing is like not only just for non-black people, but also for some younger generations of black people. Like I really kind of wanted to go on a mission to kind of put our stories about our music, about our art, about these cultural moments within a framework that help you understand like how we got there, what the landscape was like at the time and how it connects the dots to the present. So that's that's my mission. And that's what I started doing with Music Sermon. I love that. And I got to tell you mm-hmm. why. So I'm one of those people who has the idea. So I've been writing for years at this point. Started VSB in 2008 mm-hmm. with Damon and, and Liz. And, you know, we were writing about relationships and the culture. And at some point, and a lot about race and things like that, right? And at some point, I decided, like, wholesale, like, I'm not writing about white people anymore. Like, I'm literally leaving them completely out of the conversation. There's no more white gays for me. Like, it's 100% celebrating blackness it's 100 percent enjoying being black and what all that like there has to be some celebration and joy in what it is we're doing it can't all be blackness as a pathology of some sort or in comparison to what's happening in the in in the white community so much so that i did this i i curated this um series when i was at the root called the black mainstream and it was built out of this idea that I remember I was listening to another podcast. I won't get heavy into what that one was, but they made this comment about Arsenio Hall and how he wasn't like, whether like coming to America was Arsenio Hall's biggest moment. And I was like, nah, it's the Arsenio Hall show. But I was like, but you got to be black to know that there has to be something that like the in the mainstream black culture, in our culture, Arsenio Hall, the Arsenio Hall show was like this apex. So I then mm-hmm. enlisted all these people to kind of write about like black culture. Like one of my boys, wrote, Damon wrote an article about all of us thinking Georgetown was an HBCU at one point because there was, you know, like yes. in the nineties, it was like, I don't want to go to Georgetown. It got a number of black people everywhere. You just think like the, right. right. So it was like all these discussions about, uh, one was about, um, the coldest winter ever. I was like, that's a book everybody I know had and read. Like that was like, you know, Mm-hmm. So I like I, I do that kind of thing as a rule because I love the idea of framing culture and mainstream as like a black thing. Like this is how I grew up and this is what I do. The rest of this is like it's important because it's the world we live in. But um, and that's how the even the black pop art thing. That's why I loved it. I'm like, this is literally what I love seeing like this stuff that's ridiculous on his face. But you know, it's value in our community. Like, it brings all this stuff to us. Right. And there are themes there. That's the thing. There are themes there. There are, you know, repeated patterns there. You really can examine it like art, even though sometimes it's really absurd and and crazy. Like, there's definitely something that is so uniquely Black about it. You got to appreciate it for that. Yeah. So, when did you get to the point where, like, this is... Like, when did you realize that you were, like, good at doing that thing? Because you're an executive, you're a manager. <laughs> right. But, you know, like, I read the I read the essay that you did in the, the Smithsonian's anthology of hip-hop and rap. Like, I, I had a chance to cover mm-hmm. that. I have I have the box set. It's an amazing thing. Right. Um, like, when do you realize, like, I'm somebody who is good at doing these things and putting these things in perspective and curating that stuff? Like, mm-hmm. when did that happen for you? It, I didn't realize I was... I didn't realize how I, I didn't realize it was what I was good at until after I started doing it. Um, let me explain that. So I started doing Music Sermon as a series of Twitter threads in 2017. A matter of fact, the five-year anniversary is on um, July 29th. And I was doing it kind of out of a sense of um, me missing a certain element of the fun of the business, right? So... I had seen people kind of do these video threads before, and it was the 25th anniversary, I think, of What's the 411? And I started talking. I was watching the Real Love video, which led me to a whole bunch of other big Les, uh, Leslie Sager choreographed videos, which was basically every knee pads, tennis skirt, baseball cap, kick, you know, turn, drop, you know, video. And I, the first thread I ever did was how we danced hardest, hardest F in the 90s. Um, we dance to everything. Like you can't, Gen X got their 10,000 hours in before we finished high school. You can't touch, you cannot touch us on an eight count. You can't, you can't do it. That's all we did. We did it every day we got home from school. We just had them in pocket ready to go. So, um, that led to me thinking, you know who we don't talk enough about? This person or this person or this person. And 
also people were retweeting, but also retweeting with their own like shared experience, their own nostalgia, their own memories. And people were talking to each other and it was communal, right? And I did a couple more threads, even though I said I wasn't going to become the quote unquote thread person. And after like maybe, and first it was just like for me and my peers, like just kind of a memory lane, give somebody their flowers. Like I talked about Uptown, I talked about Latifah and Salt and Pepper and Light, you know, and it got to Babyface, I think. And that's when 20 something started, yeah, 20 something started chiming in like, I didn't know he did this song. I didn't know the song was a sample. Um, I had no idea about this. And then I did one about like the adultery R&B um, of the 80s or the 70s. And that's when it was really kind of like, I had no idea. I was today's year, you know, I was today years, today years old, etc. So I was like, oh, there's an educational component here. And um, because I've been on the executive side and the management side, and I'm a fan, and I was quote unquote there in real time in the 90s, I have a point of view that not a whole lot of people in journalism have. And it kind of, I, I sit at a spot where I'm able to tie a whole bunch of different elements in together to create a full picture. And I realized that I have a way of translating these things to people clearly in a way that they could actually access and understand, but it's still being entertaining. And I don't really know where that comes from. I don't really know how to do it. I just know that I watched a whole lot of TV and listened to a whole lot of music and watched a whole lot of movies and then worked in it. And then somehow I'm able to now write about it. So once I realized it was something I did well, I wanted to do more of it because I just felt like our stories were getting lost. I felt like history was being rewritten very often based on pictures taken out of context based on a paragraph or a story or an interview that nobody dug back to the source of, et cetera. And I just kind of wanted there to be a correct record of things for people to have. I love that. You're like my spirit animal. Like literally everything that you were saying <laughs> is like my entire ethos in how I've right. carried my own personal career for so long. Like even the educational part of it. I, so right. a couple of years ago, I wrote an article like, when did you find out Bobby Caldwell was white? Because that's yes, still a, it happens like once a year on Twitter. Yeah, every year people it's like Groundhog Day. This. It's the craziest <laughs> thing. Like, why are yeah. people still finding out that this man is white? But it happens, and people don't know. And it's like this whole new world is opening up for people. Um, yeah. So I love that. So what we're gonna do? We're gonna take a real quick break, and when we come back, we're gonna dig into the mu to music sermon and, and experiences with that and all that because it's one of my favorite things. It's one of my favorite things to participate in. <laughs> Uh, for various reasons, some selfish, some cultural, and um, <laughs> but I love it, and I'm glad you do it. So we're going to take a quick break here on Dear Culture. Stay tuned. The Griot Black Podcast Network is here. Everything you've been waiting for. Black culture amplified. Find your voice on the Black Podcast Network. Listen today on the Griot mobile app and tune in everywhere great podcasts are heard. All right, we're back on Dear Culture, and I'm talking with Naima Cochran, a cultural curator of blackness, somebody who puts black culture in context, a person who literally does everything that I ever want to do in my life. We do it in different places, <laughs> but I love it. And you are the creator of one of my favorite indulgences online, which is your music mm -hmm. sermon uh, IG, but the series you do for Black Music Month. Um I love it for a couple of reasons. One, selfish. I'm a music snob, and I think I'm better at music yes. than everybody else, present company <laughs> included. So I think that right. I know songs that nobody else knows. So you know what? You know when you get an opportunity to let a couple shots off, like you know what? Let me show y'all what I know. I love doing that, but also I like seeing all the songs that everybody else includes on the various prompts right. that you come up with. Uh, one of my favorite ones because it actually gave me an idea was the one about like. Um, a song with a whole monologue in the middle. Um, because I don't mm. think people realize how many songs have monologues in them. Like, my favorite has always been uh, Orange Juice Jones, like, Walking in the Rain. Huh? This with the juice. I gave you silk suits, Gucci handbags, blue diamonds. I gave you things you couldn't even pronounce. Now I can't give you nothing but advice. Because you're still young. That's yes. Because it's such a fun thing. I was like, man, this should be like a one act play. Like somebody needs to do a one act play of just like monologues. 
people using like monologues and songs i mean there's the clearance issues would be a mess that's a genius idea though yeah i was like this i was like i want to see somebody do this monologue like this would be amazing like a a an interpretation or even like um this is at the beginning of the song but like alexander o'neill and sherelle's saturday love one of my favorite songs yeah. of all time like the opening it's so bad it's such a horrible there's this whole so far for opening like oh no it's so terrible it's her <laughs> it's here. awful. The beginning, <laughs> the beginning of fire and desire. Oh, yeah. Wow, it's really good to see you again, baby. Like, yeah, it's a whole, it's a whole. Somebody really should turn that into a production. You're absolutely right. That would brilliant. be amazing. It'd be wonderful. Um, yeah. so let's 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 <laughs> jump into this music sermon thing. So, mm -hmm. you created it in 2017. Um. Mm -hmm. What's been like your favorite experience because of it thus far? Actually, break tell people what it is, and then I want to know about like some of your favorite experiences because I feel like everybody named Mama knows what this thing is. Like the, the famous people, not famous people, but everybody participates. Quest Love, like everybody else, like yo, we waiting on that uh waiting on them prompts, homie, which has to be annoying. I want to get into that too. Yeah, but break it down. Yeah. So, so Music Sermon actually started as a weekly series, a weekly storytelling series. And I had to dead that part of it after a couple of years because the um, I would always put video clips in every tweet to kind of assist with the storytelling. And the copyright police, uh, I'm, I'm on the top 10 most wanted list. And, you know, fortunately, I have, you know, friends at Twitter who I can't say they, they necessarily pulled strings, but they would help expedite. I definitely had to counter because people hit me all the time about getting their accounts back i definitely still had to go through the you know counter the everything with every notification so i didn't skip any steps i just had people who helped make sure like that folks were paying attention to the fact that i was countering and whatever whatever um so after i lost my account for like the bajillionth time and i have a whole like my burner has 30,000 followers. That's how often I get suspended. Um, that I, I was finally like, okay, clearly, because the problem with cop, with the copyright, uh, the DMCA rules, um, and they especially stepped it up during the pandemic is that they can, they can pull something that you posted at any point. So I was getting hit for stuff from like 2018, you know, even from 2017. And the only real recourse would have been to like just delete my whole account. So I was just like, I'm going to chill on the weekly series. But um, I also started for Black Music Month. I started this challenge. Uh, maybe I think I started it in 2018. And for the month of June, you know, I'd seen like 30 day music challenges before. So I wanted to craft one that was specifically for Black music. And kind of like what happened with Music Sermon as a storytelling series that I didn't expect was people really got engaged. And the thing that's great about it, the reason Music Sermon took off, it isn't so much what I do. It's the fact that people have really formed like a community around this. So starting with the storytelling series, people would respond, like I said, to tweets, like I said, with the first one and be like, oh my God, I remember this or I didn't know this or Oh, you know, I had this haircut. I had this, I remember wearing this outfit. Oh, like I posted, um, something had coffee browns after party and somebody was like an apple martini just showed up in my hand, you know, like that, like that type of thing. So, um, and they would talk to each other and it really became like a little community. They know each other. They are familiar with each other. Um, Quest even this year gave me like a huge compliment, which is kind of compared it to the OK Player boards, yeah, you know, it, back in the day. Yeah, but it is though. I, I when agree with that. Yeah. And um, he said that site, but I knew what he meant. So, you know, the, mm -hmm. some of the biggest moments early were like Ava DuVernay jumping on, Lin-Manuel Miranda jumping on. Um, I did a whole thread about Missy. Missy herself retweeted it and thanked me. You know, when the, when the artist that I'm talking about saw it, would see it, and actually jump in and cosign or thank me or repost it or whatever that was that was huge so those obviously were, were really big moments for me and it opened the door to my journalism career editors started following me and they started seeing what i was doing and started tapping me um to do 
kind of niche stuff on legacy artists because it was clearly a space. My rule was no pop star, no none of the big stars, no Michael, no Janet, no Mariah, no Whitney, um, and all pre-2000. I was trying to cover pre-blog era stuff mm -hmm. okay. um with a little bit of with a little bit of early aughts just a little bit but it was really more like the stuff before we started tracking every move that artists made right. and having behind the musics and you know all of that um and every once in a while i do cover the bigs i mean you got a stevie wonder in, in thing other ways on, right like you did the stevie wonder yeah thing, so right? i had a stevie thing and stevie was like, like like a stevie is daunting you know what i mean because there's just so much so it was like how do you cover that so when we started the, the Black Music Month, when I started the Black Music Month Challenge, at first it was just a way to, again, keep people engaged, give people something to do. Because honestly, I do stuff that I want to do, right? So if it's fun to me, I'm going to try to figure out a way to translate it to be, you know, to do it for everybody else. And people just happen to love it. Now, this was my, I did it 18, 19, 20, 20, Yeah, so this was my fifth summer doing the Black Music Month Challenge. I don't know what happened this year. I don't know what the tipping point was. I don't know what connected, I don't know how, but it went so widely viral. I wasn't even prepared. Like, my friends are hitting me, like, people who don't even know I know you are posting this, people who don't even occupy the same space of the internet I do are posting this. I was in a room in Nashville, and I had both a 20-year-old and a 40-something-year-old talk to me about how they do the challenge. You know, so it's just... It wildly like the connectivity this year was wild i i honestly can't speak to what it was i'm i'm humbled and i love that people are taking joy out of this obviously um which is why i expanded it and that that's the part that I just that's what i get from it is just seeing how people love it and connect to it and are like yes thank you for this um clearly there's a need for it you know yeah i mean that's the part where i think you know you make you make it with something where the individual attached to it like the the thing that you create is the is the stuff that travels like it's not dependent right. on the fact that you did it it's just that it's right. dope and whoever however it happened and I, I agree like it felt like this year i would see those prompts everywhere like every single mm -hmm. person on no matter what social media i was using was sharing these things and arguing about songs and trying to put people up on games right. and stuff like that and I think that's part of even when I saw. So when I ran into you at the Roots picnic, I was already thinking about podcast episodes. So when I saw, it, I was like, "Oh, mm -hmm. this is somebody I want to talk to about creating culture, like cultural curation, because right. you are doing something that I'm actively going to participate in. I'm looking forward to." Which brings me to something. How annoying is it when people are like, "Yo, where the prompt? Where's it at? Like, where's?" I saw you had to post something about that. Yo, like, fam, I'm I busy, Holmes. Like, trust me, life is right. also lifing. But that's part of it. Yeah. That's part of it too. Like it's like the it's a good problem, but it's part of the game too. Like it is a good problem. It is. It's a good problem. You know, it varies. Um, every year during the Black Music Month Challenge, there comes a point, like towards the end of like the second week, the beginning of the third week, where people start getting on my nerves. But it's <laughs> but it's all it's all well intended. Um, I you know I appreciate the fact that folks enjoy it so much that there's demand there. But some people are really rude about it. And that that's the part that, that hits me. There's a level of entitlement. Like, you know, people were, were fussing at me because I have, you know, a black rock day or a black jazz day. And, you know, there was one person who was like, it's the least you could have done. And I'm like, no, the least I could have done is not do this at all. You know, so, you know, it's just it's just kind of like I created a space I saw missing. Right. So it's easy for people to come in and see now that my Twitter account has fifty thousand dollars, fifty thousand followers and the IG account has, you know, forty nine thousand followers. And um, I got bylines and I got whatever and just say, well, you have the platform. You could do X, Y, Z. But I built this platform. And that's the thing that I think that people don't really appreciate. I've been building this for five years. I built it because it was something I wanted um, so if you see a, if you see something that's missing, build yours, you know, and I've never been shy that this is like an R&B and hip hop centered platform. I want to expose people to other things, but I, this is mine. So, you know, it's, it's a community, but it's mine ultimately. And I tell people that a lot of times often I will make an arbitrary call on what I do and don't want to do because it's mine. But, um, I think that's the part that kind of, I have to push past sometimes is 
you know, people are enthusiastic about it. People are engaged. I appreciate that. But there is an entitlement. Like, y'all don't pay for this. It's not sponsored content. Like, it's not, it's not like, you know, brought to you by Apple Music. It's not sponsored by Ciroc. You know what I mean? Like, it's just me on the humble. So, I, you know, but the vast majority of people appreciate it. They love it. They enjoy it. They thank me. They participate in good faith and good spirit. But yeah, there's those one or two. Like I went to my page one day, I think it was like two o'clock to finally post. And under another post, it was mad people like, where's the prompt? What's the prompt? Run it up. Hurry up. Time's ticking. Da, da, da. And I was like, really? That, that kind of hurt. But I got to push past those days. Do you have like a list of potential prompts or are you coming up with these things like daily? Because I can see it both ways. Like at some point yeah. you've run out of prompts. It's like, you know what? I got to come up with something right now. So let me think about it. Uh, you know, right. but I would also probably every if I'm doing something like that. Like so I used to do this like this 28 days of black history month for like books and video. Not, so I basically try to come up with the entire list ahead of time. So I would be prepared because, mm-hmm. you know. It's always going to be that one day where, I'll, oh, crap, I thought I was ready, but I'm not. And I got to come up with something. And, you know, that stuff gets stressful. Right. Not even stressful. Stressful. For black, stressful. Yeah. No, for Black Music Month, I come up with all the prompts ahead of time. And actually, the very first thing I post at the beginning of the month has them That's all. Right, you did that. But people want, yeah, but people want the individual the daily, daily graphics to, to repost. Yeah. Now, for Black Music Summer... I've been freestyling because um, it's once a week. So I figure I have enough time to kind of figure out where I'm going to go. But there is a list on the notes app in my phone that's um, several lists. Some are like potential sermon topics I never did. Some are potential um, prompts. So I do have like a store of things that I pull from. And then my friends are often hitting me up like, yo, you should do X, Y, Z. Like, uh, shout out to my friend Antonia. She gave me two of the prompts for this summer. But um, so, yeah, it's a for Black Music Summer, the extension is a it's a combination of the two, because this is the first time I'm doing this. And since I'm only doing one a week instead of one daily, it gives me a little bit more time to kind of flow and move based on how I feel. Do you, for every one of the prompts, and forgive me if I just don't know this because I'm I'm so busy trying mm-hmm. to come up with my own that I don't actually go through the comments because I don't <laughs> want somebody to influence. Right. Like, I don't want to find out that I'm not as special as I think I am. Do you, <laughs> right. Do you have, like, do you drop your own songs in each one of these things or do you just, like, drop the bomb on it? Because I see you comment on stuff on occasion, but I'm not... Like, I see your name yeah. in there, but it's usually comment on something. But I never actually try to look to see if you are actually dropping song choices. If I drop my own. I do sometimes. Um, I do, for Black Music Month, I usually, I try to as often as I can. There are some days when I just don't. I might even have the idea. I might even know what I want to do. And I just don't have the opportunity to because I'm, I really do want to amplify other people because... A lot of people get put on, like you said, you like to see what other people choose. Um, sometimes that's that's one of the things people love. They love to argue about music. Um, there are a couple of prompts that I already know in advance are arguing days. So I'm just in the comments, post it up to watch. Um, and a lot of times what I do on IG specifically is I will just add my commentary on top of other people's. Like, this is my joint. This is my... I do sometimes, though, if I see something missing that nobody's posted yet and it's one of mine... I'll post it. Or if I feel like it'll help kind of jog the conversation a little bit, I'll post. But when I'm trying to do both, especially for the 30 day challenge, it can feel laborious. Like I gotta post mine and I got to repost everybody else's and I want to comment and I want to participate. So sometimes it's easier to just bob and weave in and out. All right. So I'm glad you said that because I actually have a couple props that I want to give to you right now and see how quickly you could come up with a song. I only came up with three. Ooh, it should okay. be easy. Um, okay. So, favorite black Christmas song that isn't this Christmas? Oh, that's easy. Temptation, Silent Night. I thought you might go there. In my mind, like we... Which I and looked, if I have to do one that isn't Temptation Silent Night, it's, um, I think it's Stevie Wonder Sunday at Christmas. Okay. No, it's Stevie Wonder 
that's what Christmas means to me. Sorry. All these things and more, darling. All these things. Oh, oh that's darling. what Christmas means to me, my love. That Motown <laughs> Christmas album is insane. That is one of my favorite. Like, I, I always, I like. I was I did music production for years and I used to like just mm. mine that thing for like little breaks and little like two second snippets that I could use. Like Marvin Gaye song. I, I've made at least three beats using the Marvin Gaye song on that album. The purple snowflakes? Yes. Yes. I love it. Softly they float. Where do they go? Cover the ground without a sound. Right. That's a bop. Favorite brown liquor jam. And I made this one nebulous because you have a couple that you be having to explain to people where you put things out there. People be, that's one thing I do think is funny when I do get in the comments and people don't understand prompts. I'm like, boy, this is real simple. This shouldn't be that difficult. It's it's so simple. It's supposed to be fun. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And like people really be like, well, when you said, did you mean? Um, Just got Crown Royal on ice. Ah. how quick you are with this mm-hmm. i should have came up with a bunch of them yeah. I was like, let me just throw three out here since i'm gonna throw this at you <laughs> out, of, out of the blue right all right and y'all gonna see that next year favorite favorite song that involves liquor thank you y'all can thank you. i'm oh. gonna give credit to panama you don't even have to mm-hmm. just run it that's perfect all right. <laughs> right what song would be your theme music oh so this varies depending on what day you ask me um it's often Tribe Called Quest electric relaxation because I like to pretend that Tip's first verse is about me. Um, <laughs> I'm just saying. Honey, check it out. You got me mesmerized with your black hair and your fat thighs. Street poetry is my everyday. But, I gotta stop uh, if not, that, I mean, I actually do have a theme song. I'm literally named after John Coltrane's Naima. But it's a little too much of a ballad okay. into a mid for that to actually be an active theme song. Um, so I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm just gonna stick with electric relaxation for now. That's that's my dream for now. You're yeah. my era. Midnight Marauders or Low End Theory. Which one's better? Okay, so I finally had to concede. I had this fight for years. I finally had to concede that Midnight Marauders is the better album. But to me, Low End Theory is the definitive album. Yeah, I've been having this argument for years. I recently did a podcast with somebody somebody else about this. Because I I think Midnight Marauders is far and away the better album. Low End Theory is more important. Low End Theory is more important to hip-hop. Low End Theory is the definitive album, but Midnight Marauders is the better. I fought that for a very, 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 very long time. But yeah, Midnight Marauders is the better album, but Low End Theory is the pinnacle. Like, that's that's the definitive Tribe album to me. All right. Last question on this before we go to a break and then Mm -hmm. come back to some of my favorite segments here at Dear Culture. Okay. What is your absolute favorite experience that you have had because of the Music Sermon series that you do? Oh wow. Um this one's hard because it's 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 um granted so much. You know what? I will say I think if not my favorite, definitely one of the most no, most important for me. Um so I get I get my curation skills from my stepfather who passed in 2007, but he was a he was an audiophile master, like tape maker, curator, putting everything together, music historian. And at the opening of the National Museum of African American, I mean National Museum of Black Music in Nashville, um, I met um, Jimmy Jam. My father was a huge Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis fan. Um, we, it took me a minute to actually realize, like, there was an era where he just ran, like, the Sherelle album, the Alexander O'Neill album, the Control album, the SOS. He was just running them all the time. And it took me a while to realize, oh, he was running Jimmy and Terry. It wasn't about the artist. It was about the production. And so I went up to introduce myself to Jimmy and he stood up and he said, I know who you are. He gave me a hug and he was like, let's take a picture. And I almost passed out. And he is the nicest guy. 
And like, he follows me. We've been in clubhouse rooms together. I've seen him a couple of times since. But just that fact that Jimmy Jam said, I know who you are and stood up and gave me a hug. And he was like, let's take a picture. And we just had the longest conversation. That that moment, I was just like, that's wild. That's really, really, really wild. And that wouldn't happen without Music Sermon, ultimately. That is awesome. I'm a Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis yeah. stan. Like, I have written several yeah. articles. I am I put the whole uh, Janet Jackson's albums are better than Mike's albums, like, convo <laughs> in the universe because right. of Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. Um, like, but for real, they, they are, are, actually. They are. It's yeah. facts. I did, yeah, the first, the first podcast yeah. episode I did for this particular podcast was about that. Because I'm like, I'm yeah. kicking the door open. Like, I want y'all to know where I'm coming. <laughs> I want everybody to understand this. Jimmy Jam started following me on IG. Like, I literally screenshotted that and sent it to my family. Like, yo, I don't know if he knows me in these streets, but he knows me here. I have one at right. life. I don't have to do nothing else. Uh, so nothing. I'm with you. Yeah. I'm with you. Yeah, um, that was that was massive. Well, I, I, I love that. All right, we're going to take a quick break here, Dear Culture. And when we come back, we're going to come back. We're going to do our... Our vaunted signature segments here. We're gonna drop a black fashion. We're gonna have a black accommodation, and we're gonna find out where you can follow everything Naima's doing if you aren't already. Uh, but if you listen <laughs> to this podcast, you probably already are and actively engaging. So stay tuned here on Dear Culture. The Griot Black Podcast Network is here. Everything you've been waiting for. Black culture amplified. Find your voice on the Black Podcast Network. Listen today on the Griot Mobile app and tune in everywhere great podcasts are heard. All right, we're back on Dear Culture with Naima Cochran, who's been giving us some great stories, a great story about Jimmy Jam, which is, is somebody I love and think highly of. Jimmy, if you check this out, you are my guy. We need to we need to talk. <laughs> um, and breaking down your music sermon series, something that everybody I know participates with and indulges in and loves, and uh, music snobs like me live for that kind of stuff, just so we can try to show everybody else how much better my musical knowledge is and everybody else's, even though I often get uh, proven wrong. But I also mostly use it as an opportunity to always work in Return of the Mac, which I think is the greatest song of all time, and find a, uh, a find a week or a day to somehow work in Ray J's catalog because Ray J is one of my favorite <laughs> people on the planet. <laughs> so I love it. Right. Ray J is the Forrest Gump of black music. Listen, I, I love Ray J. And I think I've actually managed to work <laughs> him into every single episode of Dear Culture thus far possibly that's amazing is amazing and probably a little bit scary uh but we're gonna kick off we're gonna we're gonna kick off this final segment with a black fashion black fashion being a black confession which is something about you personally that might fly in the face of that whole black people are a monolith type of thing right you know so do you have a black fashion for us um yeah i have two actually the first one is something the first one is something i don't do the second one is something i do um, I cannot jump double Dutch, which for a black girl in her forties in New York, is actually possibly, yeah, it's actually possibly a criminal offense. I can turn. I got a mean turn. I had a mean turn, but I can't jump. And I was just about to take lessons. There's actually a school for adults who, um, are trying to get the double Dutch game up. And I was about to look into lessons right before the pandemic. So I need to pick, pick that up. That's. So my second one is something that I do that people were really surprised about. Um, it's a it's a hobby I picked back up during shutdown. I fell off. I need to get back on it. But I um, I'm into miniatures, dollhouses, um, miniature furniture. There was like a whole miniature explosion during the pandemic. Okay. Um, not the dolls, but to create things that exist in real life in miniature is fun and also you, you know you can kind of splurge a little bit but like on a one twelfth scale so like little picture little KitchenAid mixers little Gucci bags you know custom furniture all of that um I was doing it for a while and I was documenting it I was restoring a dollhouse and documenting it on IG and I got a lot of I didn't know black black women black people did this so it's it's not really a, a black space but that's one of the reasons I wanted to do it. I wanted to create black things like i have little itty bitty church fans you know that type of thing 
And especially yeah. interesting because on The Wire, Lester Freeman, that's what he did. He was yeah. all into that. And I remember that being like, this is such an interesting, like, random thing to give for him as a hobby in this show. Mm-hmm. And, but I love it. It's a like, great yeah. hobby. Okay. Well, you, it's you meditative. Make them, you make them yourself or you like, Yeah. Okay. Well, that's the thing. You can buy a bunch of this stuff, okay. right? But for me, the joy is in, and it's expensive. It's not a cheap hobby. Okay. Um, but if you want quality stuff. But for me, the joy is in, can I recreate things that exist? Like, can I make a Ciroc bottle? Because I can't find one. You know, like, mm-hmm. I made, um, you know, made little versions of vinyl. I made a little Peach Crown Royal uh, when for the Isleys and the, um, for the verses with the Isleys and Earth, Wind okay. & Fire. Like, I made a little Peach Crown Royal bottle. <laughs> that felt appropriate. So, it's like, you know, it's just, you know, I want to make, like, a little hot comb and a deck, a can of Dax hair grease. You know, like, those type of things that you can't really find. The joy for me is in, can I make them? And can I, can I recreate them? It's in the craftsmanship of it. That's pretty cool. I yeah. like that. That's, that's a very interesting, it's a very interesting uh, hobby. And very cool. Mm. Okay. All right. So we're going to take a quick break here on Dear Culture. Stay tuned. Now we switch from the black fashions to black recommendations, which are recommendations uh, about something for buying about black culture. Mm. Do you have a black recommendation? Something that people need to be up on. I do. All right. My um, all-time number one book recommendation is uh, The Warmth of Other Suns by Isabel Wilkerson, which is a story about the Great Migration, which surprisingly, again, going back to putting Black culture in context, um, I noticed that there's a whole, there's like, there's um, younger millennials and Gen Z. I think we assume that people know a lot of things without actually passing them down where we, we got them passed to us and we're not actively passing them down to the next. Um, and I'm noticing like a kind of disconnect and people not necessarily understanding why everybody from Chicago has family in Mississippi or, you know, people in Oakland have family in Texas or everybody up North in New York has family from South Carolina, North Carolina, um, or, or the food similarities or the dialects, etc. cetera. Um, and it is a, a book about the great migration that follows um, one or two families to for like along each migrant route, um, and it reads like fiction. It, it's it's really an incredible it's an incredible read, and it explains so much about blackness in America. Um, I just I highly recommend it to anybody who's never who's never read it. And don't be intimidated by how big the book is. It really does read more quickly than don't. you think. It like, reads like it, fiction. It really does. It's a sizable tome, mm-hmm. but. It also yes. is a very uh, amazing, enjoyable, interesting, educational read that I, I agree. I yeah. think everybody can get something out of that. Um, yeah. Well, thank you. This has been awesome. I really do appreciate no, it. Has. Yeah. Thank uh, you. Where can people find you? How can people keep up with what you got going on? Uh, where are you at? <laughs> I So I basically live on Twitter at Naima, N-A-I-M-A. See, one name, Naima. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. Uh, Music Sermon, uh, my Twitter page is the Music Sermon page on Twitter, but Music Sermon has its own IG, which is at Music Sermon. And on IG, I'm at Naima Graham, N-A-I-M-A Graham. But if nothing else, you can find me at NaimaCochran.com or MusicSermon.com. All right. Well, I appreciate everything you do for the culture, everything you do to keep people like me, like you're literally one of the people like, and this is going to be a very lofty statement, but I I genuinely mean this. So just trust it. When I say this, I mean this. Like, I feel like Questlove does not get enough credit for being a cultural curator of literally every one of my interests. Right. Like, right. I, I, I had this realization one day. I was like, yo, Questlove literally is for people in my generation, our generation that literally is doing all like all of the stuff that I'm interested in. You are another one of those people. Like the stuff that you Aww. do is literally in the vein of all the things that I'm interested in. All the, the from the music, all like looking at your bio and stuff like that. Like these are all the things. Like I read you had a hand in the Aaliyah's catalog coming back out, right? Yes. Which 
I don't know if yeah. you got I don't know if everybody knows that, but you need so much credit for that because I've been arguing for years that if your music ain't streaming, it doesn't exist. And Aaliyah was so instrumental to music today that if people can't hear this, it's like an entire legacy of music that we're missing. So the fact that you had a hand in that, and I don't even know what that hand was. If it was one hand, two hands. It was and I and and I'll and I'll and I'll clarify it. I didn't have a hand in it coming back in the fact that it came back okay. to streaming, but I had a hand I had a hand I was one of the marketing um, consultants for the rollout. And it was exactly what you just said. Like, this legacy is too big to just drop it and be like, all Aaliyah's music is streaming. Because just putting it all out there at the same time, we want. I wanted to make sure people experience the album top to bottom because there's a whole generation of people who haven't experienced Aaliyah albums top right. to bottom because even the physical was out of print. So that that was really kind of like the moment we were going for. So thank you for that. And also, I wanted to say for the record, Panama, I knew who you were when I met you. I knew your <laughs> name. I had never seen you, but I knew. Like, first of all, a name like Panama Jackson, you don't really miss that. Like you, yeah, you have a name to do things. Like then your name was created for you to be doing some things. So <laughs> yes, I knew who you were. I knew who you were. Well, I I appreciate you taking some time out with us here uh, here today, at dear culture sharing all this stuff um like i said i can't say enough you're somebody who i follow all the stuff that you're doing because it literally is something i it interests me and um music sermon i'm actively participating arguing with people trying to outshine and outdo people so you have a fan for life in me in that respect you know i look forward to other things that you got coming up and redoing thank you for your time uh, and thank you to everybody for listening to Dear Culture and watching uh, a podcast, an original podcast here on the Grill Black Podcast Network. If you want more of this original content, more of these conversations like this that amplify blackness, amplify black voices and black storytelling, make sure you check out our app, the Grills app. It's available anywhere you get uh, anywhere you get your apps. It's amazing. Yeah. I actively use it. All the stuff is there. Uh, please email all questions, suggestions, email scams. Uh, reply to my request for money uh, at podcast at thegrill.com. Dear Culture is an original production brought to you by the Grill Black Podcast Network. It is produced by Camille Cruz. Our editor is Cameron Blackwell. Taji Sr. is our logistic associate producer. And Regina Griffin is our managing editor of podcast. I'm your host, Panama Jackson. Thank you to everybody for listening. Check us out. Checking us out. Have a black one. Don't forget, you can listen to the Griot's Writing Black podcast hosted by me, Maisha Kai. This isn't your typical writing podcast. We interview any and everybody that has anything to do with writing, from comics to poets to authors to journalists to politicians and more. Remember, that's Writing Black every Sunday right here on the Griot's Black Podcast Network. Download the Griot's app to listen to Writing Black wherever you are. <laughs>